Roma were off to a flying start. Expectations were high, but what's happened to them now? And what went on with the Italian sides in the Champions League in midweek? This is the Serie A edition of the One Football Podcast. I'm Chloe Beresford and I'm joined by Podrig Whelan. Hi, Podrig. Hi, Chloe. So, Roma, we had this huge expectation after they won the Conference League uh, at the end of the last season. They had record season ticket sales, over 36,000 were sold. They signed Paolo Dybala, Nemanja Matic, Andrea Bellotti, Gini Wijnaldum, and they kept hold of Nicolo Zaniolo. And that was really compounded by their opening wins over Salernitana, Cremonese and Monza, and they pulled off a 1-1 draw with Juventus. If we just rewind a little bit and look back to that point, do you think the fans and the media were right to be so optimistic about Roma? Uh, I think so, yeah. And I guess you, you don't get the chance often um, with Roma as well to to have that optimism. It's it's not something, I guess, that the club have enjoyed a whole lot um, the last, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years almost. That's solitary seasons here and there where they've had good runs and been in title contention. But yeah, really, uh, really not a lot. There was the run to the Champions League semi-finals with, Di Francesco but I mean that Barcelona comeback was kind of once in a lifetime stuff um, so yeah I think you know they'd, they'd had they'd had a good summer, they'd, they'd bought well um, first uh, well second season um, under Mourinho after his first one went okay like you said obviously he delivered a trophy for them um, he's so popular with the fans good signings I think yeah I mean they had every reason to be optimistic, and probably still do as well. Um, I'm not quite as as down on Roma. I don't know where where you fall in it. If you're uh, think that we we should be a lot more worried for them than they are. At on my side, um, personally, I think that uh, yeah, a few iffy results recently. But I mean, even the performances kind of I think get still give you reason to be fairly optimistic about them. Um, so I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to dampen on their spirits too much after um, after the like you said the summer buzz that was all around and you did season tickets and the Dybala um, unveiling and all that. So for me, yeah, I think that there was a good reason for it and it still is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of kind of prisoners of the moment, isn't there? There's a lot of people that maybe get yeah, too too excited about about stuff and then immediately flip-flop to all doom and gloom and and they did lose 4-0 to Udinese um last weekend um which on the surface that sounds pretty terrible because Udinese have been they've flirted with relegation over a long time really a lot of years but they're actually fourth in the table at the moment they've had three wins one draw and one loss so they're a team that are in form at the moment and I think what Jose Mourinho said, it's better to lose 4-0 once than lose 1-0 four times. I think that was quite a good quip from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's quite... And he's absolutely right as well. Isn't yeah, he? get it all out yeah. of the way. What What did you make of the Udinese performance? Was it really as bad as the scoreline made out? Yeah, it was pretty bad, wasn't it? I mean, I think four was maybe a little flattering to Udinese and maybe a little harsh on Roma as well. Um I thought they were poor. They they did deserve to lose, but the 
the two kind of goals and the, the closing stages maybe made it look a little bit more um, flattering for Udinese than it was. Um, like I said, I think they've, they've had a few like that uh, recently. But, well, they had, like obviously in the Euro- uh, Europa League as well, where you know they didn't get a great result. But I th- again, I didn't think they were that bad in that one. And then on the flip side of it, you've got the performance um, at Juventus, well, first half, I mean, you saw how angry Mourinho was that day, they really um, did not turn up at all, Juve really should have had that game um, dead and buried, that's how poor Roma were on the night, and then they sneak out of that one with with a good point in the end, so I mean, they're, they're picking up results when they're not playing well and then um, and then obviously even when they, they've not been probably on that level they're still, there's other um, sides of the coin where it well, they are getting the results like the Udinese one or the one in the Europa League. So yeah, they're so a little bit hard to to figure them out in the in the early going so far. And I guess they've not been helped by like even some of the signings that they've made with um, when Aldum coming in, and obviously who knows when we'll see him. It took them so long to get uh, Balotti in the door, um, so it'll probably take him a little while as well to to come up stuff. So yeah, I think there's still um, still a kind of a sense of not really knowing what Roma are at the moment and maybe we won't until I guess closer to the World Cup when uh you know they'll have a few tougher fixtures before um before the, the break for that. Yeah, and I think then it's almost gonna be almost like a another start to the season, isn't it, with having that break for the World Cup. It's like um the sides we as they're just getting into their stride we're going to have that break and then they start again and who knows what they're going to be like after that so there's still a lot of question marks around that this season which I guess keeps things interesting and it keeps things keeps us all guessing about which team is going to rise to the top because there are you know there are a lot of possibilities right now in Serie A yeah yeah and I mean like for I guess as bad as Roma have been as well in some games uh, like the Udinese they're not that far off the top. I mean, it is only five games, but they're they're still right up there. So, and like you said, Udinese flying as well, Atalanta. So, like it's it's quite. Uh, it's not just Roma. It's quite open for for everyone at the moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then on Thursday night, they they moved on to play Ludo Goretz in the Europa League, and they looked to have salvaged an equaliser. Eldor Shomurodov. Um, Sounds like a character in Lord of the Rings to me, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then they conceded for the second time in the 88th minute when they had no chance then to to reply. Um, they had loads of chances. Gianluca Mancini fired over the bar. Lorenzo Pellegrini hit the woodwork. Um, but overall, it really wasn't good enough. Um, they, obviously, they lost 2-1. Uh, Mourinho said, I'm not saying we played a fantastic game because it's not true. He, find, he found the result unreliable um, and he said the performance was enough not to lose, uh, but he didn't say they'd done enough to win. Um, and he, he said it seems like everything's going against us at the moment. Do you think that's right? Do you think they are going just through a spell of bad fortune or are the problems maybe a bit deeper? Uh, I'm not often one to, to agree with Mourinho and it's he's kind of, it's easy to, to put the boot on him. Um, you've seen it like so much in recent years when it started to go wrong. But I'm, I'm kind of with him here, to be honest. I, I do think that 
and you'd even mentioned it with like the Ludogorets game, like they had they had their chances and, and whether you count that as luck not taking your chances, but you do think on another night they'll go in. But that has been a problem all season, I think. Like there has been other nights when that's happened again, like you've the first few games of the season. Like Roma are creating so many chances and just hitting the woodwork, marginally offside, just past the post, meeting goalkeepers who are making amazing saves, all of this kind of thing. and um, Yeah, so I, I do kind of think it, there is going to come a point when when things will eventually start to go their way. The ones that are hitting the bar will just sneak in a little lower. They, they can't, keep, um, can't keep going so close and creating so many chances without not taking them. They, they do have... Like also one of the most exciting um, probably forward lines in the league, some of the talent that they've got there. Um, I know Dybala's, uh, like goals-wise, he's not really um, contributed as much as you'd hope yet. But I think if you look at Dybala's like, overall, play, he's, he's always involved. Like he, he really is. If he's not creating for himself, he, he's creating for others. So I think when you've got all of these options, and an attacking sense anyway, I, I think personally that... Um, that it's going to turn around soon, and some of these results, they're they're just going to turn into wins. They're going to turn the, some of these draws, defeats, into wins because they can't keep playing, um, or creating like they have, and for it not to to go their way. But I mean, I don't know if you think that maybe there's there's a bit more underlying issues with them. I mean, which there certainly could be. Obviously, as everything. Yeah, no, I I I agree with you that eventually that that luck will have to turn for them. Um, the one question mark I do have, though, um, is Dybala's kind of positioning. Um, he scored only twice, as you referred to. He's not scored a lot. Um, no, they were both goals against Monza. And Lorenzo Pellegrini was kind of playing last season in the position that Dybala's occupying now. But Pellegrini has been moved back into midfield to accommodate Dybala. Now, for me, I just question whether that makes sense when Pellegrini was in such good form behind Tammy Abraham last season. He got nine goals and four assists. Um, Or is it up to Mourinho to try and maybe accommodate Pellegrini further forward somehow um, into that attacking line? It's an interesting one, isn't it, with Pellegrini, I think, because, like you said, he's he's not playing the position he was last season, but... For me, I think he's probably been maybe along with Dybala um, or Ibanez at the back as well. has been really good this season. But I think Pellegrini's still been one of Roma's better players this season. So, I mean, they're still obviously getting a tune out of him and it shows like the quality he has. I think Pellegrini is one of these players who could he could play anywhere like in midfield. He could play wider on either of the two sides if Mourinho wanted to use him there. Like you said, can play... Um, just behind the striker, and I think you'll get quality from him all the time. Um, so I think I think that's not been that's not been too big a problem for them so far because I just think that Pellegrini has that intelligence, and I think this season, like I said, that he has been really good and he's a decent um, got a decent relationship. I think with uh, DiBala as well. I think he's he's helped him settle quite quickly. I think there was there was a stat from after the Udinese game. I think Dybala's actually been involved in creating uh, the most chances in Serie A this season. I think either shots for himself or shots for his teammates. So I think it shows that, I guess, it was a decision Mourinho had to make. He had to find a way of fitting Dybala in and if that meant moving Pellegrini um, 
I guess, than so be it. But for me, I think that's it's actually that's one of those that's worked out quite well for them so far this season. It's just obviously becomes more difficult when you factor in um, when you've got a fully fit Zaniolo, uh, Tammy Abraham's there, El Sharawi's there. Like he, he really does have options yeah. uh, now. In the, in I the suppose time. if anyone's used to kind of managing a, a star cast of attackers it's Mourinho though for considering his past so I guess he's got the experience to try and make that work yeah yeah I think I think so I'd, I'd be, it'd be interesting if, if he does stick with it or if results um keep going the kind of the way they're going if if they did push, push the panic button maybe a little bit well they play Empoli on Monday and although we've sort of discussed that I don't think there's any need to panic and, um, you know, things are going to turn and and the looks are eventually going to go for them. Do you think this is a must win, really, um, considering Empoli is such a a, a small side? Uh, I think just if you look at maybe the fixtures that are kind of sneaking up after it, then you would have to say yes, because when you it's not just the European games, but I mean kind of around all of these European games in the next five weeks or so they've got Atalanta Inter Napoli like they've got some really tough games coming up that you certainly wouldn't be going in expecting to win whereas Empoli that's just one that I mean they've got to pick up three points there I think they've got Lecce in about a month as well that's another one that when you don't know what you're going to get against the, the kind of better sides and the sides that will be around them um, at the top of the table. I mean, some of those games are going to be incredible to watch. So, yeah, I think this is one, not maybe not must win, but it's one that I think they, they just have to get the get the three points in it when you consider the, the calendar that's coming up. Um, yeah, and if not, then it really you really could see the pressure start to, to ramp up on Mourinho then. Well, I think especially... Um where he is kind of Rome is a infamous place for kind of harsh criticism in the press and uh, a lot of talk like incessant talk about about what's going on at the football club so I think you know if if you start to get on a bad run it, it maybe is a little bit harder to recover it in Rome because um you've immediately got the press kind of on you and analysing every last mistake that you made so yeah I think you're right I think maybe not a must win but certainly just just get the job done and and kind of draw a line under those two bad results and 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 move forward yeah I think you're right like you see it in Rome don't you that kind of like when the knives are out for a coach or that it's very rare that after that they can pull it back round and obviously I think the the conference league wins definitely bought him a bit of time um but yeah it's the Udinese result it's just because of the scoreline that's one that immediately starts that yeah you can kind of feel the the spotlight shining maybe a little bit brighter because of that one yeah and and the players as well as as Mourinho I think that you know the players themselves can be subject to a lot of criticism at times um so you know it 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 kind of puts the whole operation like very much in the spotlight because um, because everybody is so kind of intense and fascinated about what's what's happening. Um, that yeah, the players probably feel it too, and that that's that's can't be a good thing either for them to feel like they have to perform, otherwise they're going to get trashed. 
Um, okay, well, we'll move on to the midweek Champions League games. Um, just want to really say about Napoli's performance against Liverpool. Now, Liverpool obviously uh, have their own problems. They weren't at the best, but from a, a sort of an Italian football perspective, like how good were Napoli? Yeah, unbelievable, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, that could have been six, couldn't it? it? It really, I mean, it really could have. Yeah, and that's not a, an exaggeration with the uh, missed penalty yeah, and the and one that hit I the post. Farid Scalia had the one where it was cleared off the line and all he had to do was pick out anywhere that, that Alexander-Arnold wasn't. Yeah, I mean, could have, could have been six yeah. and... I think six wouldn't even have flattered Napoli. Like yeah, I think you're right. They were absolutely um, incredible. It's and it's amazing that I think it continues that record when when English teams come to this. It, well, I was going to say the San Paolo, but the the Maradona now. Um, yeah, it's just it's just so tough for them. I mean, the whatever it is, the crowd or the the, the players maybe just extra fired up for these one, but they just yeah, an incredible record that they've got there um, and. Yeah, to do that to to a team who I mean got to the final last season, and I know like you kind of mentioned at the start that Liverpool have their own problems and they're struggling a little this season. Still, one of the the best teams in the world. I mean, they took nine off a team themselves a few weeks ago. So um, exactly, yeah, I, yeah. I was just so impressed um, with Napoli, and then even even you know when they were losing players to injury and Simeone was coming on and things were just just clicking. That was an amazing moment for him to kind of get his get his moment as well. Um, yeah, just so much so much to enjoy, I thought, from a Napoli point of view. Um, Claret Skelia maybe the most. I mean, this guy is just, yeah, uh, he's just been a joy so far this season. Really, really um, exciting addition to the league. Yeah, and I saw today actually in the, one of the Italian papers that um, Napoli's sporting director has come out and done, done an interview about um, picking up Kvarat Scalia um, and uh, he said that they actually spotted him during one of the Covid lockdowns and they managed to get to speak to him before any other sides um, had had talks with him and after that other sides started to be interested but Napoli had already kind of locked down a deal for him and that's how they managed to to bring him in um, because basically they they saw him first. Yeah, just got dibs on him essentially. Basically, yeah, and yeah. and uh, you know that was just really great work from them to to yeah, pick him up yeah. at at sort of his young age and his amazing ability just seems to have come out of nowhere. And you know, I think we discussed on one of the earlier episodes of this podcast how. Napoli had lost a lot of their star players, you know, um, Mertens, Insigne, Koulibaly. And we were kind of a bit concerned that they may have lost their identity a little bit. But like, yeah. I, I hold my hands up. I, you know, I was kind of wrong about that because they they just seem to have really clicked with these new players. Um, and Simeone, it was, you know, when he came on, it was a really nice moment. He said he'd got a tattoo of the Champions League yeah, logo. Yeah, without having ever played in it before. Yeah. I, I thought that was, yeah, that was uh, some show of like uh, self-confidence. Yeah, well, he got it apparently when he was nine. I mean, nine's <laughs> in a, a lot of ways very young to have a tattoo, yeah. isn't it? But he, I, get, he, I guess if you've got his dad, his exactly. dad 
let him away with it, I suppose. Exactly, but he'd got it when he was nine and he'd, he'd always said that when he scored his first goal in the Champions League, he, he would kiss his tattoo and that's what he did. And it was one of those really kind of, you could just see the outpouring of emotion. He's quite an emotional player anyway, yeah. I think, yeah. um, on his face. And yeah, it, that was just a really a really good moment in the game. Um, I know Spalletti kind of has uh, a tendency to kind of race out of the blocks and then like kind of after Christmas, there seems to often be a dip with him. Um, but so far, he, he's he got Napoli, you know, you could say one of the most exciting sides in Europe right now. Yeah, de- definitely. And f- like those new signings that like you mentioned, I think nobody knew what we were going to get and they were all, I mean, unless you were following... Georgian football or um, the Turkish <laughs> league with like Kim Min James, and he's been unbelievable. But you, you forget about Koulibaly already. You forget about Insigne already. Um, Simeone maybe soon enough will be forgetting about Mertens. Although it's not easy to forget about him. I think he was actually he was even in the crowd. Um, he was. He was celebrating with the fans the other night. That was that was quite nice to see as well. So um, yeah, just yeah, all of it. You're right, just one of the most exciting teams to watch, definitely in Europe right now. They've just got uh, so much talent, and especially when it's these guys um, that we just didn't know so much about. It's, it's really, really refreshing. Yeah, they're, they're going to be they're going to be a fun watch, um, regardless of how it goes. And like say, with Spalletti, that that is the criticism that's that's kind of been there in the past. So, but I mean, regardless, I think this is going to be a really, uh, really exciting ride this season for them for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and kind of on the flip side of how exciting Napoli are, um, we had Juve against PSG. Now, they certainly in the first half were extremely stale again. Um, they were really lucky not to be further behind than they were. They conceded a goal to uh, Mbappe's brilliance after just a few minutes and... Um, it ended up 2-1 and I think that scoreline didn't really tell mm-hmm. the whole story of of how sort of bad and how um, kind of almost like an anti- anti-football approach that is continuing under Allegri. Yeah, it's, oh, it's just not fun to watch, is it, this season? No. 100% agree with you. I thought that scoreline... Um, if the Udinese one that we talked about earlier, if that was a little flattering to them, that this one definitely was um, for Juve. Uh, I think you, if you just saw the score and thought, oh, they've got out of Paris with a narrow defeat, but it, it really wasn't like that, was it? I mean, no. PSG just the better team, and it, uh, yeah, it's it's the it's just the style that's. I think it's becoming a real problem now. It's just because I don't think it's going to change, and we've spoke about it from. Uh, I think probably the first podcast of the season when we said it had crept in last season. It probably wasn't as bad as it's been maybe in the early going this season, but you could see the kind of old-fashioned approach um, that he's gone for, and it's definitely, I think, it's almost ramped up now this season. I think stale was the word you used. I think that's a a good word to use for it. It's just, yeah, there's no excitement there. It's just so lethargic, like, all all over the field. Just, like, no spark or no energy with them and no oh, I, mean, I, I ended up shouting I ended up shouting at the TV why are you walking because it's yeah. just it feels so frustrating yeah. you know they're they're literally just walking with the ball they're not and and they're they're standing they're standing off 
especially in the first half. And you can see these clear lines, kind of very old fashioned lines of football. And PSG are just like pinging the ball around these very static players, very mm-hmm. static lines. And it's just like, why aren't why aren't you being more proactive? It, it's, you know, um, I think it, even as a neutral, it's just extremely frustrating to watch. And, it, you know, you kind of feel like saying to Allegri that, you do know football is a spectator sport, right? Yeah, yeah. I know a little bit of entertainment wouldn't uh, wouldn't go amiss. And yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if that what's going to take to fix it. I mean, I know that they're missing someone like Chiesa would probably give you that kind of uh, urgency and spark in the final third. But even then, that that's not going to be enough to to fix the problems because, I mean, you, you mentioned it there, but it's even when defenders are on the ball and it's just static and they're just knocking it back around and forward to each other. I mean, uh, I feel really sorry for Vlavic as well. I mean, that, mm. that's the guy who just looks so isolated and, and starved of of any kind of service. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, just with all that talent, I mean, because they do, I mean, there's, there's players in that team, really exciting players, um, in that squad, the they just they shouldn't be this um boring to watch. Probably no. the word for it. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. And um, I noticed um, Matthias Delict again has been in the media. Um, obviously he's moved on to Bayern now, but he is saying that um, when when he arrived, he was totally off the pace compared to the other players at Bayern, and and he said again this week that when they were training at Juve, they didn't ever um, practice sprinting or, you know, that it was really kind of low intensity stuff when they were training. So, you know, you come up against a side that that does do sprinting, that does do this high intensity fitness work. And it's not not only the tactics, but they're not going to be up to the required fitness to be able to compete with teams that play high tempo football, are they? Yeah, exactly. It just it just seems such a I don't know seventies or eighties kind of handbook of of doing things. It's yeah, it's quite surprising that um that yeah the delict interview like you mentioned he discussed that about kind of how how different these supposedly two like elite level clubs are and the way that Bayern for in comparison are operating to UVR concerning really concerning. Yeah, yeah, that they've. That that at all all levels really that the club are just kind of lagging behind mm-hmm. and um, not not keeping up with what's required and then they've got a coach who's kind of really embedded in this very strange style of football and um, you know it wouldn't surprise me if Vlavic got so frustrated because you can see it on his face all the time how frustrated yeah. he is and he's even been in tears you know um on, on pre- in previous games that he would start to look for a move away because like delict he's young and he's been put in the same bracket as um erling harland even he's been mentioned in the same breath as him as the, as the kind of next crop of superstar players he's not going to hang around somewhere surely where they play football like that and they're not even getting the ball to him where, where something as simple as a cross into the box and you think he would just finish it you know that's all you need to do is just is just get the ball to him in the box and he'll score so um we talked about milan kind of 
drawing a lot of their games and it was kind of sometimes a, a trait of Pioli because he he's good defensively but sometimes he struggles to figure out his attack and they had another draw again in midweek um in the Champions League with Salzburg um what what did you make of that did you kind of think it was the same old kind of issues for Pioli yes that was another one where I thought Milan they probably came out of that thinking they, they should have won it they maybe did enough to win it um, you know, you're coming off the back of the derby when spirits really high and they've done so well. And yeah, I don't know. It was it was maybe just a little bit of a hangover left from that. And I, I guess this side. I mean, last season was was the first one in so long. Um, they've been back in the Champions League. I guess maybe this is a group that are just still kind of adjusting to that. Um, that increased calendar and the. Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, kind of um, carrying on. I thought I thought they were okay. I th- yeah, uh, against Salzburg, it's, it's probably you would look at it as two points dropped. But I mean, you, I think they're strong enough going forward in the group that it's it's not a disastrous start, and um, you probably should still get out of that whether it's first or second. Yeah, they're not in a, a group of death. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like like Inter, like Inter for example. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, their their loss to Bayern was probably expected. Um, they put, I noticed they put Onana in goal instead of Handanovic, um, which could be a way forward for them maybe with Handanovic out of form. Yeah, that would um, be interesting, wouldn't it? If, if yeah. that's just going to be a, a European thing or if that's going to be the way he goes going forward. Um, yeah, that is an interesting one. Yeah, and uh, I, there's a lot of talk about kind of a crisis at Inter and um, Inzaghi given the sort of dreaded vote of confidence this week. Um, but I think I think you can probably chalk off that Bayern result to a game that they weren't really expected to win anyway um, and then maybe just see how they do this weekend um, back yeah. in Serie A because, you know, I don't think, I don't think there was ever much expectation when they've got Barca in that group as well um they, it's it's kind of sad for Inter fans but I guess you know they've probably already resigned to the fact that they're they're not gonna they're not gonna get out really yeah yeah I mean I, I suppose it was a frustrating one the, the Bayern and I thought they were well in the game until um just that second goal I mean that's just so difficult to defend mm-hmm. against and Bayern turn it on like that I think you can hold your hands up. Yeah, like you say, it's a bit of an uphill struggle now. It's probably going to come down to the two Barcelona games, home and away. Um, well, and that's that's when you factor in, you kind of think, well, you need six points from the, the two games against Pilsen. So, yeah, come down to those uh, those Barcelona ones. I mean, I, I think they could, they could cause Barcelona problems, but then they've seemed like they've started the La Liga season quite well, considering all the chaos they had in the summer so yeah they're, they're going to be going to be some fun games those two. yeah for sure uh, now um going back to Milan they face a, a weak kind of Sampdoria side who've really struggled um you know under Marco Giampaolo to me it seems like he is a guy who built his reputation on a couple of good seasons but then hasn't really managed to replicate that at all and he's back at Sampdoria and struggling again um so they they face uh 
they play Sampdoria on Saturday night, which is live on OneFootball for users in the UK and Ireland. Um, but it should be an interesting one because obviously Milan have had that midweek game. Um, but we might see a bit more of Liao, I thought. Yeah, I mean, he he was impressive, wasn't he, in the, the derby? Um, and yeah, we'd spoke about him recently, hadn't we, about how his start to the season's uh, it's been a little bit um, hit and miss. And you kind of thought, well, we're hoping that this would be the season that he really took his game to the next level. And yeah, little signs now that maybe he's just slowly getting up to it because I think like all the talent is there for him to be, I mean, he's probably even the best, um, but certainly the best wide player in the league. Uh, I know we spoke about Farid Skelly earlier, but Leal, he's probably just the next next level above that so if if he can kind of hit that form so yeah he's he's one uh he's one big reason to watch the game that's for sure yeah definitely now then um we move on to our questions um our opinion and our trivia questions now i've uh, got a couple for you today hopefully not too difficult this time hopefully not <laughs> now i've gone for a roma theme since we kind of discussed roma as the, the main topic for today um and the opinion one is surrounding Daniele De Rossi. Oh. Now, I want to know who you think was better between him and a player who I think is fairly similar in Roy Keane. Who oh. do you think out of those two? Oh, that is a that, that is a to- that's a tough one in the heart. That one. Because, <laughs> I know. Because um, I think Keane was like De Rossi's hero as well, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of modelled his game on him. Um, Oh, I think, I think if I had to pick one of them in midfield, if like my life was on the line and I had to to pick a midfielder to like lead a team out, I think I would just give the edge to Roy Keane, maybe. And it oh, it hurts me. Yeah, hurts it's me hard, isn't to it? Say it. But it's then hard. maybe I maybe just edge it for him because I th- I think he would he'd be more inclined maybe to channel his energy in a positive way maybe whereas I could see De Rossi he's a little bit more hot-headed than Keane where um, yeah could end up could end up costing me maybe getting sent off but (laughs) that that is a that's a tough I'll say Keane but it's it's really with uh, like a knife edge one for me yeah really yeah I I thought that was going to be a tough one to choose like I actually um would go for De Rossi just oh, just that's good we, we like the we're balanced like both in. Yes. yeah but only only just because of personal preference like De Rossi is one of my all-time favorite players but I I can see why Roy Keane is so similar and so close closely matched with him which is why I chose him for the question um but yeah uh, just just De Rossi for me and I like Roy Keane a lot more since he's retired. I have to say, like I, I do, I do like his um, his humour and stuff when he's on TV. Um, okay, so we'll move on to the trivia, um, and it's again another Roma question. Who do you think scored more goals for Roma, Edin Dzeko or Vincenzo Montella? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh these these have been difficult this week. Um, Jekyll or Montella um, the one uh, I'll, you should always go with your gut I think shouldn't you with, uh, yes. with these questions and the one that immediately that I immediately thought would be the answer I think Jekyll I think 
Dzeko is just that more consistent um, maybe 15, 20 goal seasons. Uh, I'm already starting to doubt it, so I'm going yeah. to lock Dzeko in before I... Okay, before locked I in on Dzeko. Dzeko is correct. Oh, it is Edin Dzeko, you were right, yeah. I think you're right, just going with your gut is the best way. Um, he had 119 total goals for Roma, which I think is... Wow, that's... that's pretty impressive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Montella ended up on 102, so it was fairly close. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think Jacko definitely had his best years, didn't he, at Roma? Um, oh yeah, yeah. One season in particular, I think, where he he got close to thirty goals. Um, but yeah, definitely the most consistent at Roma, um, and I think they they still have fond memories of him there. I I remember tweeting when um, Tammy Abraham joined Roma I tweeted something about that it was a massive upgrade on Dzeko meaning Dzeko at his age and 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 Tammy Abraham at his age and the type of player that he was and all that all of that and I absolutely got slaughtered from Roma fans because they were like how can you say that about Dzeko (laughs) well I mean I think you've ultimately been proven right on that one (laughs) I mean I think you see how Inter fans talk about Dzeko uh, Mm -hmm. they don't quite talk about him in the same uh same glowing terms as the Roma fans do, although I, I'm a big fan. I really, uh, really do like Jack. I always, always enjoyed watching him play because I get he's just like one of those strikers, isn't he? Where I mean, his all round play might not be the best, and his link up and all, but just like anywhere around the box, you, you would just fancy him like hit his with his head, or he's quite strong on both feet as well. Um, yeah, he's always, always one that I liked. I'm the opposite, I have to say. Oh, yeah, not a Jekyll fan. No, I find him and other strikers like him, um, Mario Gomez springs to mind. Yes, that, well, that, he did not have his best of... Uh, didn't recreate <laughs> the Bundesliga form at Fiorentina. He didn't, no. That's but for sure. It, it, it's that kind of striker where they they do score a lot, but they also miss a lot. And I find those kind of strikers like really frustrating to watch. Um, there's just something about them. I don't. I don't know why, but I've never particularly enjoyed watching Edin Dzeko, and especially not now that he's scoring less than he used to. <laughs> yeah, those messes are piling up. Yeah. So, but I guess it's just what you, what you, what you enjoy and your your personal preference, isn't it? Really. So we will leave it there for this week. Um, don't forget that um, Milan's match against Sampdoria is live on One Football on Saturday night for users in the UK and Ireland. And we will speak to you again next week.